today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. look at these verses here and basically God's asking, do you really want a God that you have to melt to make? I mean, people are hauling in gold and silver and to a goldsmith, melt this down, make, make me a nice God so that I can worship. Or, or do you want a God you can hoist on your shoulders and carry it? I mean, really? I think I want a bigger God than a God I can carry around, right? Or do you want a God really that you can prop up in a corner, just put him in a corner, just stay there, or a God that cannot answer you or save you? Do you really want all that? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. When's the last time you bowed down to a gold idol? You most likely laugh at the idea. Especially in our modern Western culture, it's a foreign concept to have a physical idol that we actively bow down and pray to. But as Pastor Gary will emphasize in today's message, we have plenty of idols. Our worship simply comes in a different form. Where do you put your money? What do you buy? How do you spend your time? These are just a couple of ways you can determine the object of your worship. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, as he begins his message, The One True Lord. Let's take our Bibles and go to Isaiah, chapter 44, if you would with me, please. Isaiah, chapter 44, and I'm going to read... Uh, uh, verses from chapter 44, 45, and 46. So again, uh, get ready to do some turning with me. I'm going to start in chapter 44, verse 8. And I think you'll see pretty quickly the common repeated theme uh, in the verses that we're going to read here. Isaiah 44, verse 8 says, Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. Now go to chapter 45. Chapter 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Further down here, chapter 45, verse 18. For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, you're an intelligent crowd. Do you get the theme by now? Still a few more verses, still further down, chapter 45, verse 21. Declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me. 
a righteous God and a Savior, there is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. One last verse, chapter 46 and verse 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. The title of my message today, The One True God. Well, as you no doubt noticed, between chapters 44 and 46, there is this repetition uh, over and over again of uh, how the Lord is unique in all the universe, that there is no God like Him, that He is unmatched and unequaled uh, compared to other gods, small g, and that all other gods are fabrications or imitations or deceptions. Uh, Only the God of the Bible is the true God, exclusive, distinct, and without equal in the universe. And the reason why God is saying this over and over again through Isaiah the prophet is uh, because at this particular time in Jewish history, the Jews have replaced the worship of the true and only God for the worship of idols made of wood and metal. And so in the book of Isaiah, you won't find any chapters more concentrated than these 44 to 46 about the emphasis on, no, these other gods of wood and metal are fake gods, they're false gods, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the only true God, and he is distinct from all other gods. You you see it emphasized here because at this time in Israel's history, they have uh, begun to worship idols and they have stopped worshiping the true and living God. This is in part why Isaiah is prophesying to the people of Judah, the southern portion of Israel, because he's warning them, you people are, are serving and worshiping false gods. They can't help you. They, they don't walk. They can't talk. They don't love you. They can't save you. And, and so this is so foolish. And, and this, the futility of idolatry, this is what Isaiah is warning them about. Because if they don't turn from their idols and start worshiping the true and living God, Isaiah tells them in advance, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to sweep down on you. And and they're they're going to take you captive. They're going to haul you back to Babylon. Life's not going to go well for you. So you ought to turn. And so in these chapters, God is just trying to emphasize, listen, I'm the true and living God. There is none like me. I'm the only one. Stop following these foolish, senseless gods. Don't have arms, don't have legs, don't have eyes, don't have mouth. They can't help you. They can't speak. You pray to them. They can't answer your prayers. They can't save you. They won't rescue you. And so he just continues to remind them of his legitimacy and their illegitimacy, of his reality and their unreality. And part of what God does here in these chapters through Isaiah is to just kind of dismantle uh, all of their thinking relative to idols. And so if you'll go back to chapter 44 with me, I'm going to read through some verses where God is basically saying to them, are you kidding me? I mean, do, do you really think that your idols can help you? And and I actually, when I read through these verses, I actually, I find them humorous because I think God is is being a bit sarcastic in the way that he's trying to get them to see in their foolishness how ridiculous these idols are. So so God starts to point out the just the foolishness of these idols. So in chapter 44, for example, in verse 12, in chapter 44, 12, he says, the blacksmith takes a tool. 
and works with it in the coals. And he shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength, and he drinks no water and grows faint. Okay, so God's painting a picture, and he's basically saying, do you really want a God that you can shape with a hammer? All right, is this, is this the kind of God you think is going to really show up in your time of need? A blacksmith has to fashion this God with a hammer. Oh, and by the way, I hope that the blacksmith has been eating some food and drinking because otherwise he's going to get faint, and there's nothing worse than your God not being able to be fashioned because of a faint blacksmith. Okay, now, a little group participation here today because I'm going to be reading these verses And then I'm going to pose the ridiculous question that kind of highlights the foolishness of the idols. And then I'm going to point to you. And when I point to you, I want you in unison to say, what kind of God is that? All right? So it'll it'll just be fun. Just relax. It's going to be fun. So let's just try it. You're going to say, what kind of God is that? Because, you know, you're pointing out the ridiculousness of these idols. So I'm going to point to you. You're going to say, what kind of God is that? Go ahead. Ready? Okay, good. Now, perfect. Now, keep that up. So, here we go. So, so do you really want a God that you can shape with a hammer? Exactly. Exactly. And you know, by the way, the blacksmith is singing a song while he's fashioning this idol. Can't touch this because it's hammer time. Anyway, verse 13. Some of you have no idea. Those of you are young, you're like, hammer time? Verse 13, the carpenter, now we go from a blacksmith to the carpenter. Carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker, like he's drawing a face on a piece of wood here, and he roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He wants to make sure the things do north, right? And he shapes it in the form of man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. Okay, so the question is, do you really want a God that a carpenter can shape with a chisel? Exactly. And you know now what song the carpenters are singing. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. We've only just begun, friends. We've only just begun. I'm having flashbacks of the 70s and 80s. That's what's happening right now. The carpenters? All right, anyway. Verse 14, keep looking. Verse 14, he cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak talking about the man making an idol. And he let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. And he makes an idol and bows down to it. All right, so then from from these verses, the question becomes, do you really want a god made from a tree, made from the same firewood used to cook your meal, and to warm you when you're cold. Exactly. I mean, what kind of a God do you want to worship where you, you take half of the tree and you make fire with it, and the other half, oh, that's my God. That's my God. This doesn't make sense. Further down in verse 19, he kind of spells it out. He says, no one stops to think, and no one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? So God is just pointing all this out. He's like, listen, this is 
ridiculous. You're not going to be healthier. Why are you worshiping these things? Go to chapter 46, a couple more verses just to highlight the foolishness and the futility of idolatry. In chapter 46, I'm going to read verses 5, 6, and 7. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? This is God speaking. Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Of course it can't move. It's not real. And though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. So you look at these verses here, and basically God's asking, do you really want a God that you have to melt to make? I mean, people are hauling in gold and silver and to a goldsmith, melt this down, make, make me a nice God so that I can worship. Or, or do you want a God you can hoist on your shoulders and carry it? I mean, really? I think I want a bigger God than a God I can carry around, right? Or do you want a God, really, that you can prop up in a corner, just put him in a corner, just stay there, or a God that cannot answer you or save you? Do you really want all that? What kind of a God is that? That's no God at all. Now, this whole concept of idolatry, it, it really is foreign to us, isn't it? Because, you know, nobody is, that I know is, is, you know, making a little idol out of wood or metal or some, some material and then bowing down and worshiping it. So when we think about the way that the Jewish people were doing this, uh, you know, 2,700 years ago, it is so foreign to our thinking. Uh, but people actually made things and worshiped them. And because it's so foreign to our thinking, I thought I would just illustrate it uh, for us and have a little conversation with you. I want to introduce you to, to my God, Lemon. This is, this is my God, Lemon. I call him John Lemon. <laughs> just a, And every time I pray to him, all I hear him say is, Imagine there's no heaven. It's a very depressing song, actually. He keeps asking, imagine that there's no heaven, that it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people just living for today. It's a very sad song, isn't it? That's what my God came up with. (laughs) You know, in all seriousness, that song by John Lennon, That song is all about just the here and now. There's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no God, there's no reality other than just what you make it now. It really is a depressing song. The problem is, however, that when we, it's become so a part of Americana that people are singing it like, imagine, with a smile on their face, like, imagine there's no heaven. Wait, what? (laughs) Some of the songs we sing, we got to stop and listen to them, folks, once in a while. Like even the nursery rhymes. Rock-a-bye baby on the treetops. Somebody call social services. Why is the baby in the tree? Anyway, I digress. But I keep, I keep like praying to this, to my lemon God, and he doesn't answer me. I keep worshiping him. I keep trying to make him feel like he's important in my life, and he just he doesn't do a thing for me. Now, isn't this is so silly. I feel silly just even illustrating this. But this is what they would do. So they'd make something, they'd fashion it, they'd worship it, and they would think that this could help them. 
Now, the one thing I want us to recognize in the foolishness and how primitive it seems to us, and it is, to worship something that you make or draw or fashion, is it does highlight something very important, and that's this, that mankind has been created with an innate need to worship something. Mankind has been created by God with an innate need to worship something. And if you are not worshiping the one true God, I guarantee you, you are worshiping some fabrication, imitation, or deception. Everybody worships. It's not a question of whether you do or don't. Everybody worships. And if you're not worshiping the one true God, you are worshiping some fabrication, imitation, or deception. Now, some of you might take issue with that statement and say, no, wait a minute, you know, Pastor G, I was invited by some people here, and I, I don't even profess to believe in God. I'm not a Christian. I don't even believe in a supreme being, so I don't worship anything. But just the fact that you state it that way indicates to me that you are the center of your universe. And when you are the center of your universe and you are accountable only to you and there is no higher authority in your life, you have by default made you the center of your worship. Your theology or your meology is that self is God. You worship you. Everybody worships something. Even if you say, I have no worship system, that means you are on the throne of your life and you worship self. And the reality is, again, that if we don't worship the one true God, we end up worshiping some other fabrication, imitation, or deception. And this is important for us to understand. How foolish would it have been for Isaiah in his day, in the midst of all this idolatry, to just simply say, well, you know what? I mean, if you want to worship wooden God or if you want to worship metal God or some other, you know what? If that works for you, that's okay. I don't want to really infringe on your right to freely worship whatever God you choose to worship. And frankly, even in having this conversation, I feel like I'm not being very tolerant of your ideas. And so I just want you to know you can worship whatever God you want. If it's wooden God or metal God or no God, that's totally fine with me and you and whatever you want to call God. I mean, how foolish would it be for Isaiah? To say that, when in the midst of the true living God, idolatry is so prevalent, would Isaiah be doing a service or a disservice to the people of his day to just remain silent in the midst of all that idolatry? No, Isaiah needs to proclaim the true and living God. He wants these people to be helped. He wants these people to be saved. He wants these people to know who the true and living God is and to be rescued from their idolatry and their foolishness. So if it would be so foolish for Isaiah to be reluctant to ever interfere with somebody else's idolatry, then why is it that we are passive when it comes to proclaiming the one true God in our culture? Every time the Bible talks about idolatry, you know most often how the subject is approached in church, and I'm, I'm admitting that I've done it this way too. I'm not saying it's wrong. But we tend to look at ancient idols, and then we kind of translate it into modern idols. So we say, okay, they fashioned things, and they became a priority that superseded God. But now today, we have our own idols, and we got to be really careful of things like, you know, materialism can become an idol. You know, our, our career can become an idol. Uh, you know, our iPhones can become an idol. And, you know, we just, and, and so we often translate idol to idol. I want to present this from a different angle. Instead of us looking at a modern 
transfer of what is the equivalent of an idol today. I, I submit that we have accepted cultural idolatry by remaining silent about the one true God. Because there are a whole host of other gods that people are worshiping. And to remain silent is not only doing a disservice to them, but it's, it's an unloving thing. It's the equivalent of Isaiah saying, I, I don't really care if you're worshiping these idols of wooden and gold and silver. I know who the one true God is, but if that's your system, then that can be your system. I mean, if we really love people, do we not want them to know the one true God? The passion of Isaiah should be the passion of ours in our generation, where we would want people to know, can I introduce you to the one true God? I know you're worshiping either fabrication, imitation, or deception, but I just need you to know the one true God loves you, and the one true God sent his son Jesus to die for you. And if we remain silent, that is tolerance to a lethal level. I know people who will take issue with what I'm saying, because when Christianity presents itself as the one and only way, people get upset about that. And I go, yeah, we don't, I don't like, like hearing this, Pastor G. You know, and if you go around saying, listen, can I introduce you to my God? Because your God can't save you. Can I introduce you to my God? Because your God doesn't love you. Can I introduce you to my God? Because uh, your God cannot help you. People go, oh, don't say that. We don't want to offend people. Listen, it's not intolerant or unloving to want to introduce someone to the one true God who loves them and sent his son Jesus to die for them. It is an unloving thing to remain silent about the most incredible gift that is given to mankind. And we, as the extension of the church, have that opportunity to share that with people. And so, in effect, we put up with idolatry because we don't, we don't want to offend people. Is it really offensive? Is it really unloving to want someone to know the true and living God? Is it really unloving to want someone to be forgiven of their sin and free from the guilt associated with it? Is it really unloving to want people to come to salvation, to have a burden for souls? Because we need to be burdened for souls around us. One of the biggest lies I think that we have bought in our politically correct culture is that tolerance means silence. I can be tolerant in the sense of respectful. I can be tolerant in the sense of appreciate someone's where they've come from or, or what they believe. Nobody has to be abrasive. Nobody has to be arrogant. Nobody has to be proud or haughty in the way that they present. But to remain silent, to say nothing when God is screaming in these chapters to the people of His day who were caught up in idolatry of a different kind, to remain silent, to not see the passion that God has here saying, hey, listen, I'm the one true God. Listen, I'm the one true God. You know what God does? He doesn't get angry. He holds out his arms to his people. He's like, don't you see? Those gods can't help you. Those gods can't save you. Those gods can't fix you. Those gods won't answer you. I will. I can. And now we, as the extension of, as the body of Christ, have the opportunity to likewise present that good news in our culture. But we're intimidated because of the idolatry in our own culture. The Old Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who he is and what he expects from those who call him Lord. 
He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation, the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus. There's much more to learn from Isaiah, so we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find the link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday, and child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know